Well, good morning, ladies and gentlemen. This is the Truckers Podcast. I am your host, Doug, from London, Ontario, Canada, doing my live show from a disclosed location in Brussels, Ontario, Canada. Thank you for joining me this morning. Here we'll be talking about housing affordability. Not just that, you know, but renting and how things are becoming somewhat of a crisis. Thank you for joining me this morning. This is December the 11th. Well, thank you for joining me this morning. So here I am live in Brussels, Ontario, Canada. And uh, a little bit about history about this small town community. And uh, I guess back in the day, uh, the village was originally named the, uh, the Angleyville after William Angley, who first settled in the area. The name was changed to Brussels after the name of the Great Western Railway Station at the edge of the town. And then it was the community was officially incorporated on December the 24th in 1873. And Brussels has managed to retain most of its architectural flavor of the period just before and after the 1900s. Now, are you live? I've walked around Brussels and um, yeah, the heritage buildings and stuff like that. It's actually a, you know, a really, uh, a really nice place to visit. So, now, I have talked about uh, the, the housing crisis um, that we are experiencing here in Ontario, Canada. And not just, you know, when it comes to people buying property. You know, the affordability has just skyrocketed. You know, uh, city of London where I reside, I mean, houses start at 650000 If you go to Toronto, Ontario, houses are starting at over a million. Now, the other problem when it comes to, uh, as they call uh, housing affordability, is that it has become a seller's market. Taking the highest bid. Houses are selling a hundred thousand over asking. The other problem that buyers are running into with new builds, and this is happening, and that is there is a builder uh, just north of Toronto um, last month uh, turned around and tore up the existing contracts that people had signed and put down forty, fifty thousand dollars as a deposit, and then the builders come back and say, "Oh no, we want a hundred thousand dollars more." 
another builder in Tilsonburg, Ontario, kind of similar, is saying, no, we want 25% more. Now, this has started a class action lawsuit over these contracts. Now, what about, you know, for, you know, hypothetically, you know, dealerships? You know, you purchase a car, you go get the financing, and you go back to the dealership to sign the paperwork, and the dealership decides, well, you know, because there's been, you know, computer chip shortages, you know, and there's not a lot of cars out there on our on our on our lot, you know, yeah, you know what, we want ten thousand dollars more. I mean, this is this is a trend. You know, that's starting to happen now with dealerships, but this is a start of a trend with builders. You know, using the, the, the pandemic and the cost of lumber and other materials going in to build your home and tearing up existing contracts and now saying that they want $100,000 more for the condominium that you're going to purchase. Rentals have become another crisis, and we have a, a, a crisis when it comes to rentals. And the one crisis that just started is that the new buyer of these townhouse complex um, in the city that I reside in are turning those into condominiums three bedroom townhouse condos. So the people that are, have lived there for 15, 20 years now find themselves in a situation where they have to move. These units are going for something like 450,000 each. All electric heat. And there is no law out there stopping these new buyers buying up these properties and then reselling them putting people in a predicament where have to move in with family have to move in with friends at the present time in this in in these certain townhomes they're paying like a thousand dollars a month rent for a three-bedroom townhouse Whereas three bedroom townhouses are going anywhere from $1,500 to $1,800 or more. And these people who are renting these townhouses, I mean, they're probably, and probably for most of them, they're at their limit of what they can afford for rent. Some of them were only given 30 day notices, some were given 60 day notices. Now, the law requires that it has to be 60 to 90 days. The landlord has to give you notice or the new buyers have to give you notice to move out. The other thing that, that people run into problems with it when it comes to, um, you know, for landlords when they want to um, uh, renovate, uh, you know, do renovations. So now they call it a rental eviction. Now they do this so that they can 
raise the rent. But they have to give the tenant first rights to the property after it's been renovated. Or they're going to have to turn around and have another suitable place for you to rent. Now, I, I, I've, I've heard out there that people that, you know, had renovations done on the properties, they want to have first rights and they're refused. Well, the landlords can't do this. Landlords like for, you know, for like for the percentage of, of rent that they can increase on a yearly basis, I think it's about 1.7 to 1.9%. If they want to go higher than that, they have to apply to the landlord's tenant board in order to get, uh, you know, say like a 4% increase on the rent, 5% increase on the rent and show why they need it. Other landlords out there, I mean, you get the bad, the bad landlords out there that um, want to increase your rent, but they tell you on the first or the second or the third of the month that your rent is going up, which they cannot do. Now, another thing that landlords might try to do is that they want to have their mother-in-law move in or their son move in. You know, maybe they want to have their ex-wife move in. And they have to fill out the proper documents. They have to apply to the landlord's tenants board in order to get it approved. But they don't. And some people don't know this. Uh, for some reason, I am running low on my power. Am I not plugged in anywhere? Oh, I just lost power. It's not plugged in? This is plugged in. Your monitor's plugged in. Oh shit, that's not plugged in. I just lost my show. <laughs> I just lost my show. That's fucking hilarious. <laughs> Maybe we'll see. Maybe we'll see. Monitor still plugged in? Yep. Is your battery charging on your computer? <laughs> God, that's fucking hilarious. You should say too about the, uh, the Brussels thing. We were talking briefly about Brussels. They're actually celebrating their 150th, 150 year this year. 150 years. Why is that not coming on? Look and see if your computer is charging, your laptop. 
Yeah. Is there an on-off switch for this thing? Yeah, did you? Um, yeah, yeah, there is. It's right here, but it's... Um, is that off? Yeah, but your computer's plugged in. That's why I said, is that charging? That's charging. Well, then that's fine. Let's try a different port. No, hit that switch. Yeah, that's on. That's still charging? It's charging. Oh, here we are. I guess we're back. That's just too funny. Sorry about this, little, ladies and gentlemen. Little interruption there. My laptop wasn't plugged in and my battery was just about to die. And that would have just canceled out the whole show. And I'm sure you heard the whole conversation going on here. Too funny. So I just been told that Brussels is celebrating their 150th anniversary of this small town next year starting in what january july End so, of July. yeah so we're going into the 150th year uh, of, of brussels so um when it comes to um you know like like the crisis that we're having here in in not just you know in in um, affordability for, for buyers, but affordability, um, for renting. Now under the, um, under the rental rights as, as tenants, you know, when it comes to evictions, you know, um, your landlord can only evict you in specific situation and must give you written notice using the proper forms provided by the landlord's tenants board and must give the reason for the eviction. Now, whether it's for a, a rental eviction, whether it's because, you know, he's going to have his ex-wife move in, his mother-in-law move in, his son move in, you know, it has to be a family, it has to be a family member really to, for this to happen, right? And I think that is that is just an absolutely ridiculous law. You're a tenant, you've been renting there. Why does his son have to move in? Why does his wife have to move in? Why does he have to, you know, his mother to move in to care for? Why does that all have to happen? Now, so when it comes to the eviction for personal use, what I'm talking about is when the landlord wants to use, use the, the unit for themselves, want to use it for their family or they're selling the property and the purchaser will be using the unit themselves. Or in this case, in this townhouse complex, the new buyers, they're turning them into condos. And there's no law saying they can't. A buyer can do whatever they want with the property. When it comes to rental evictions, renovate, repair, or demolish. They must give you the right of first refusal to, re to move back into the unit following the, reno the, the, uh, the renovations. And you have to notify your, your landlord in writing before you leave that you want them to offer you that unit when they complete the renovations. 
And under the new rules, if your landlord fails to provide you the right to first refusal, you have two years rather than one to file a claim with the landlord's tenants board for compensation. Now we've seen this before and, and we've heard about this is on bad faith evictions. Landlords must act in good faith when evicting a tenant for reasons that are not the tenant's fault. So this means that the landlord has honest intentions to use the rental unit for purposes stated on the eviction notice. So I'm giving you notice to move out because I'm moving in there. So that means I have to move in there. Now, it's going to be up to the board to determine, you know, has the landlord given the notice of termination in bad faith or good faith? And they may make an order requiring the landlord to pay the former tenant, you know, the sum of the difference between the last rent charge to the former tenant and the former tenant's current rent in their new unit for up to one year period up to 12 months of the last rent charged to the former tenant and reasonable out-of-pocket moving and storage and other expenses that the former tenant has incurred and will. <laughs> now, <laughs> bad faith evictions you know, the landlord could face up to $50,000 in fines if found in court that it was a bad faith eviction. Corporations could look at $250,000 in fines. So it's not, it's not just about, you know, when, when, when the government talks about housing affordability, not just for new buyers, but housing affordability for renters. Because these people who are now being evicted out of their townhomes because the new buyers are turning them into condominiums, you know, are gonna, are gonna find themselves in a predicament where they can't afford the next place to rent. Coming up with first and last month's rent your rent now has gone from $1,000 to $1,500 or even potentially $1,800, depending on where you want to rent. There's no stopping buyers to buy existing apartment buildings and turning them all into condos. But all those people will have to move out, find another place to live. We have a homeless crisis and they're calling it a, a crisis now because they let this go on for decades and it's only gotten worse over time. The mayor of our city, when he was elected, he said he's going to focus on the homeless crisis. So for the last couple of years now, they come up with this, this, this plan of having um, an outfitting 
um, construction trailers. Um, so they yes. so they put they, they put in heat, they put in beds, and they will place so many of these of these trailers in a certain area of the city, and uh, they I guess they would select, you know, thirty homeless that they feel that has a, a pretty good chance of moving from off the streets and into a place they can call home. Now this year they had selected three city owned golf courses. And unfortunately the one city owned golf course, somebody decided to set fire to the existing building on that property. So those outfitted trailers, they wouldn't be able to use that city owned golf course to set fire to the clubhouse, which was going to use for places where they could uh, have breakfast, lunch, and dinner, a place to shower uh, for social services. So they had to scramble, find a new location. And, you know, the city, you know, the city of London pulled together and they came up with a solution. They found a new uh, area where they could put these outfitted trailers for the homeless. You know, so it's not, you know, when I talk about housing affordability, it's not new buyers, it's renting. You know, the crisis for people who are homeless, who, who can function and, 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 and sustain themselves in a new place to live. And we don't have the properties. And another thing that the, uh, you know, the Ontario government, well, we have an election coming up in the springtime. So the the Liberal uh, Party of Ontario, you know, they want to increase the capacity in in rental buildings of affordable rent. Now, a a high-rise building, you know, they may have five units in there that's, you know, on, on the affordable rent list. But they want to increase that. And uh, one of my shows, I said, they should increase it to at least 30% of that building for affordable rent. 30% of it. There's a lot of people who are on fixed income, disabilities, old age pensions. You know, this is what they have coming in. They can only afford so much rent. They still have to be able to, you know, buy food, buy clothing. Food's going up 30%. Yeah, yeah, you know, with the increase of food. You know, I went to, this was just absolutely crazy. You know, I went to the grocery store yesterday. Um, for my parents to buy them cereal. 
And I'm standing in the cereal aisle and it was depleted. And the sign on the shelf read, sorry for the inconvenience, we're experiencing a shortage. It's bad enough that, you know, we have a shortage of housing and we have now, now the, the grocery store shelves are, are starting to empty out and not being restocked fast enough. How long is this going to go on for? Your price of groceries are going up. And now you, you, you factor in affordable housing when we, when we're very limited. You know, and, and it's taken, you know, the municipal, you know, so the city, the municipal government to, to finally start acting on stuff when it was a crisis five years ago. It was a crisis 10 years ago. Oh, we just let the agencies handle it. We just let the homeless shelters handle it. Coming next year, they're talking about reducing the beds in the homeless shelter from 100 beds down to 50 beds. I don't know how that's going to work. I really don't know. We could have on any given night in the city of London, 200 people homeless. The city of Toronto on any given night would have a thousand people homeless. And they want to reduce the beds coming next year. You know, they're, they're, they're putting the cart before the horse, as I see it. When we don't have enough affordable housing, we're not building enough affordable housing. Yes, we have started to do this. And in the city that I reside in, you know, I think there's been three buildings that have gone up for affordable housing and that's it. And there's still land available to build on. And they're not acting fast enough on one particular land that, you know, out Dundas East in the city of London, where the old McCormick's building used to stand, three quarters of it is still a pile of rubble sitting there. It's an eyesore. It's disgusting. They need to tear down the existing building that's still there. They need to clean it up and they can build on that property. The old psychiatric property on Highbury Avenue. They're looking to build in there. But as I was, well, I was reading the article one, one day, I was looking at the article. And, and so uh, people who bought up this property to build on there, they're only going to have a few units available for affordable housing. I mean, this should not be allowed. And this is the problem when land gets bought up and, and builders come along and they can build what kind of housing they want to have on there. And this is a huge property. There's another property where the, where the military um, used to have, have it for their storage is another piece of land where they can also build on. It's sitting there 
vacant. There's no buildings left on it that the military used to, to, to uh, use for storage. And it has sat there for years and nothing's being done. Nobody's moving fast enough. Rent increases are going up. I mean, apparently we're supposed to have a, a rent freeze till the end of the year. Now, I've heard stories out there that people, you know, back in August or whenever, you know, their uh, year leases up or, you know, they've gone month to month for the year and landlords are coming along and increasing the rent when there's a rent freeze. The government of Ontario did not remove that. Whether rent goes up $40, $20, $30, whatever the case may be, they can't give you a rent increase until January. And if the government decides to turn around and keep that rent freeze on for another year, because here in Ontario, I mean, we're starting a huge, we're getting a really big increase in COVID cases. We're now seeing like 1,400 cases a day. From back in the summer, we're only seeing maybe 300, 250 to 300. Now we're over 1,400. This Omicron variant has nothing to do with it. It's still the, the, the Delta variant that is still the main concern. And yes, we have seen cases of the Omicron. Now they're talking about, you know, coming into the next year, as we go moving into the winter, that the Omicron could become the new dominant variant. Schools already have 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 uh, increased infections. They're already talking about extending the school year or the, the the holiday season out two weeks, so the kids will be out for a month. Now we've seen this happen before. And then we'll extend it another two weeks. Then we'll do two more weeks just in case and say, oh, wait a minute, school's out indefinitely. Back to online learning. I could potentially see this happening. It's happened before. I can see it happening again. We'll have to wait to see what happens. You know, the, the Ontario government, even the health units are asking people, you know, as we're coming up to the Christmas season, to limit their gatherings you know as it stands right now we're allowed 25 people indoors 100 people outdoors but they're just asking you to take precautions right they don't want to as we're leading up to the big day you know we don't want the government to come out and and say you know what we're just going to limit it to to the immediate household because now we're seeing 2,000 cases a day. You know, we don't want They're asking people, you know, to keep working from home. Coming January, businesses were, were looking to open up the office buildings again at 100% capacity. You know, now the government's asking to, you know, let's keep it, you know, to where it is right now. And, you know, wait and see what happens. You know, there always seems this wait and see what happens. 
usually has the opposite effect. And, you know, then we start moving out, we start backing off, you know, what we have had lifted. I mean, we're at full capacity in, in sporting events, concerts, uh, full capacity at, at gyms, um, you know, with, uh, with um, uh, restaurants, dining in restaurants and stuff like that. But you have to be fully vaccinated and you have to have that proof. Starting in January, you know, uh, kids um, 11 and up are now going to have to show proof of vaccination to do indoor sports. At their school, they want to join the basketball team. They want to join the hockey team, the badminton team, volleyball team, whatever the case may be, you know, to have these indoor sports in our schools. No. I think there's something like seven schools now in the, in Ontario or here in the city of London, I think seven have now seen a huge increase in outbreaks. They're talking, like I said, extending it out two more weeks of, of Christmas break. If this trend keeps going, it's going to be extended even longer and they'll end up doing online learning for maybe a month and a half. And it gets even tougher, you know, for single parents, you know, just getting back to work, getting their jobs back, and then they'll have to stay home to, to have their kids do online learning, or maybe having grandma and grandpa come over to sit with them when they go to work, or they have to find a babysitter. Or they just have to stay home. Through all the trials and tribulations that we have gone through this last, you know, coming on to two years, two years of this. And it's gone from one variant to another. And here we are in a new variant. Maybe another variant will come out of that, of that variant. Who knows how long this is going to go on for? The Spanish flu went on for two years. This is not the Spanish flu. This is not the flu. And people can argue all they want about this coronavirus and do what you say, whatever. <clears throat> the fact is, <clears throat> it's here, and for how long, they have no idea. They can't say there's an end date because they don't know. Nobody knows. And as long as new variants keep popping up, this could go three years, this could go four years, it could go five. This could be becoming a seasonal thing. It could just be here, period. And not be eradicated at all. And we're going to have to live with it. Who knows what's going to happen down the road? I don't know. We can speculate all we want. Businesses want to reopen. We're 
here in Ontario, we are on hold on, on certain things that are not going to open uh, to full capacity. And that's bars with, with, um, with, with dancing that's strip, that's uh, strip clubs, that's bathhouses. If you know, people, you know, like to partake in that sort of thing, you know, they like, they like to go to the rub and tug, you know, they're, they're not going to be to open full capacity. We're going to hold them at, you know, whatever their, their building can hold. For example, if it's 250 or less, whatever, whatever, whatever is less, you know, cause they're going to allow, you know, places to open up, you know, to fully vaccinated individuals, but they're not going to do that. Now, when they talk about uh, strip clubs, well, they can still be at full capacity as long as there's social distancing. That doesn't even make sense. How can you have full capacity and social distance? I mean, as it, as it is right now, if you want to go to a restaurant, you want to dine in, you know, because now patios are closed, you know, you can, you sit at your table without wearing your mask. You get up, you got to wear your mask. You know, that's just common sense. You have to be fully vaccinated. You know, we can, you know, we can go on day and talk about people's rights and liberties and freedoms. You know, companies, um, you know, are mandating that all employees be fully vaccinated. People are being fired. People are quitting. We've had drivers where I work quit, you know, because the federal government and the United States government is now saying that essential workers have to be fully vaccinated to cross the border. They've been crossing the border from day one of this pandemic without restrictions. The essential workers, the truck drivers and the doctors and nurses or whatever who work, who have essential jobs on the other side of the border. And we talk about a crisis in the trucking industry, you know, where they're talking about 2024, you know, here just in Canada, we could see up to 30,000 uh, 30, driver shortage. And now they throw in this new rule that has never been a rule before that all truck drivers and all essential workers crossing the borders now have to be fully vaccinated and people are being fired and people are leaving their jobs. Yes, there's going to be court challenges and that has started. Class action lawsuits about these mandated rules in companies, whether it's corporations, you know, and most of the times it is corporation because hospitals are a corporation. The city of London is a corporation. The transit commission is a corporation Ford, GM and Chrysler are corporations. They're all mandating that every single worker be vaccinated and not just the workers, but anybody who are going on those properties to be fully vaccinated colleges and universities. All students must be fully vaccinated, all personnel, all support staff, everywhere. 
have to be fully vaccinated. <laughs> I read a, an article uh, the other day that there was this letter going around um, saying that the federal government should round up all the unvaccinated people. And it was signed by the health minister of Ontario. Her name is on this letter. Obviously, she never she didn't write this letter. She didn't write this letter and send it to the federal government and say, we need to round up all the unvaccinated people. I mean, they're the problem. You know, you know, people who are fully vaccinated are getting COVID. Unvaccinated are getting COVID. Nobody said that these vaccines are 100%, and they're not 100%. And I've said this from time to time before, just like the flu shots. They're not 100%. Maybe, maybe sooner or later, the entire population is going to end up with COVID of some form. Whether we're vaccinated or not, I don't know. I've been lucky throughout this pandemic. My family's been lucky throughout this uh, pandemic. None of us have come down with COVID. I do my normal day things that I do. I go to work every day. I come in contact with people. I can't go in any business without wearing a mask. You know, paperwork is going from hand to hand. You know, sometimes they even use my pen to sign my paperwork. You know, I go back in my truck and I sanitize my hands. You know, I sanitize my truck. You know, I take all the precautions that I can take. Even when I go to the mall, you know, I stay far away from people as I possibly can. I go into the store. If it looks like it's too busy in there, I won't go into that store. I'll go to another store, maybe come back to that store. Or maybe I'll just say the hell with it. Go another day. Go earlier in the morning. Don't go to the mall in the mid-afternoon because it's just jam-packed. I don't know where these cases are coming from. I don't know how we're going from, you know, a few months ago from reporting maybe 300 cases a day to almost 1,500 cases a day. I don't know where people are getting infected. I have no idea. But it's happening. You know, it, it just seems that when fall time starts and, and winter starts, you know, the 21st of December is the first day of winter. And this time of year, and, and like last year too, we've seen these increases in cases in the general population, in our schools. We see these increases. And they will continue over the winter. And then into the spring, when people start getting back outside again and stuff like that, we see the decrease. You know, we see the influx of, 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 you know, like the flu. I mean, the last 
couple flu seasons. I mean, we really haven't seen any really real big traces of the, of the flu or, or really next to none. You know, we're social distancing, we're washing our hands, we're wearing a mask. But we're washing our hands, wearing our masks, social distancing, and we're seeing these increase in COVID. It's a different strain, right? We have different strains all the time. All these different variants are coming up. It has its own characterizations. It's not the flu. It's not, it's not the Kung flu as Donald Trump would call it. I don't know what to tell you. I mean, in different parts of the United States, you know, different states are seeing huge increases. You know, then you got Marjorie Green. You may know who she is. You know, she, you know, she's in Congress. She's a Congress lady. You know, and you, you think that she'd have enough brains in her head. You know, the other day she's out there saying that we have never closed down any schools because of cancer. You know, six million people die a year of cancer. We've never closed any schools, she said. Well, she's right about that. But she's missing the point. Cancer isn't contagious. I mean, what a bimbo remark that is. How can you stand up there and make that statement? In front of Congress, say we've never closed any schools because of cancer. Because it's not contagious. And then you got Dr. Tenpenny. I mean, she sounds like a character from James Bond. It's Dr. Tenpenny. What's she worth? I don't know. Ten pennies. You know, with her, you know, remarks out there, you know, when it comes to, you know, the vaccines and she's talking about magnetism. And she was just on, on, on this on this show this other day, I don't know who this guy is. I don't know if he's an anti-vaxxer or whatever like that. Or maybe he just, you know, you know, just giving her the spotlight to, to you know, to spew her, to, uh, to spew her bullshit. You know, magnetism. So apparently to Dr. Tenpenny that they took 60 people, 30 unvaccinated, and 30 fully vaccinated. So they they so with the 30 unvaccinated people, they, they took metal objects and they put it on on, on their bodies and stuff like that, and, and no metal objects stuck to them. Then they took the 30 fully vaccinated people, and a, according to her claim, that 29 out of 30 these metal objects stuck to these people in the injected site. How could that, how could that even be? I mean, how did they even conduct this? 
I mean, did they have the people lay on their side to put their body straight down their on their arm on straight straight down on their body, and then just place a metal object on their arm? Because you can't do it standing up. I tried. I'm fully vaccinated. I tried. I, I got. A, I went out into the garage and I got a piece of metal and I put it on the and injected side of my arm and it just fell off. You know, maybe I didn't get enough little metal objects in, in, injected into my body. I don't know. You know, I'm going to get a booster shot on, on December the 19th and maybe, you know, that might magnetize me. I'm going to have to try after that. I'm going to have to wait, like, wait 14 days later in order to try to see with that booster shot whether I'm going to become magnetized. And then she was talking about people taking a black light <coughs> and going up and down their arm and they're glowing. Well, I don't have a black light to try that. You know, I mean, I mean, who who actually did this to do get a black light, go up in their bedroom, turn the lights on, turn turn the lights off, turn the black light on and, and scan their body and see you see if they're glowing, you know, like a firefly. You know, I don't know where in the world they come up with this. I don't know if if their frontal their frontal lobes of their brain are damaged. I don't know. You know, your your, your thought process of your frontal lobes. I mean, did their fathers poke them in the head, in the forehead one too many times and maybe damaged it? Or maybe it was just small from birth so they have a defect? I don't know. I really don't know where they come up with it, with, with, with these things, you know? I mean, if you give the, if, if you give the microphone to Marjorie Green, or you give it to Donald Trump, or, or you give it to Dr. Tenpenny, or you give it to anybody, you know, who is, is so big on these, on these conspiracy theories, and they feed you this BS. And you believe it. I don't know if you believe it. I mean, I don't believe it. You know, just like, you know, even after the federal election in the United States, you give the microphone to Donald Trump and he will go out there and he will tell you whatever you want to hear. And his followers will believe him. Just like Dr. Penn, Penn, Penn uh, Dr. Tenpenny's followers, they will believe her. Marjorie Green. People will believe her. You know, I mean, that statement saying that we've never closed any schools because of cancer. You can say that's a true statement. But it's not contagious. Cancer is not contagious. Coronaviruses, like this one that we're experienced for the last almost two years, happens to be contagious this isn't ripley's believe it or not you know this isn't a this isn't a fucking comedy episode you know comedy episode is watching donald trump listening to dr tenpenny listening to marjorie green 
and others. Watching that federal election in the United States, I had to grab popcorn and beer. Falling off the couch laughing every time Donald Trump opened up his mouth. You know, you can take it with a grain of salt and believe whatever you want. You know, that's, you know, that's your right. You can listen to anybody you want to listen to. You know, but think about it, fact check it, you know, use the fact checker and find out for yourself. Fact check the fact checker. Do what you need to do. But in the meantime, the world is still in a pandemic. So I take take the time to thank you for joining me this morning, ladies and gentlemen. Appreciate you coming out here on the Trucker Podcast. Thank you for all the likes. I am doing my show live from Brussels, Ontario. I am from London, Ontario, Canada. Enjoy your rest of your Saturday. Take care. Be safe out there. And I will be back out here tomorrow morning at 9 a.m.